Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast on the Western Front Association, with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the Great War and have over 50 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 13th of September, 2021, and this is episode 222. On today's Dispatches podcast, I speak to Megan Kelleher, a doctoral student at the University of Kent. Megan is researching the public awareness of Commonwealth Wargrove Commission sites in England. She spoke to me about her research from her home in Nottingham. Megan, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Could you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? Thank you for having me. Um, So I've always been interested in history, um, which my family can really attest to. Um, After spending my childhood fascinated by uh, groups like Tudors and uh, castles and those sorts of things, before my 13th birthday, um, I joined the Air Cadets. And thanks to their basic training, I became really fascinated in their history, the RAF history, and then the two world wars more generally. So I was lucky enough to to visit the Western Front as part of the first year of my undergraduate study and this trip was really poignant for me because I was able to learn more about my family connections to the Great War as a result. Um, we hadn't really had these conversations beforehand in as much detail um, until I said I was going to the former battlefield. So on my mother's side her grandfather served in the Royal Artillery and he survived the war um, which starts at least three generations that we know of of my family working at the Royal Arsenal at Woolwich and then my father's family suffered four losses that we know of and so three are commemorated across the Ypres salient um, um, while the forces commemorated at Alexandria. Um, and over the course of my studies, I became really fascinated by the Great War and its memory. I did have a time period where I was also very, very fascinated by the Second World War, but then the Great War sort of took over. So this combined with my work at the moment with the Commonwealth War Graves Commission as both an intern beforehand and now as one of their public engagement coordinators, it's enabled me to learn a lot more about my family history, visit the sites that they're commemorated at and gain more knowledge about the Great War and its memory in Britain as well. So you fall into the trap of doing a PhD with which takes us into the cult even deeper. Could you tell us about what your, research, your, what your research is about and what you're intending to look at? So my research focuses on commemoration in the United Kingdom and specifically England um, of the First World War military dead who are commemorated here and who died here. So there are over 306,000 casualties in more than 12,000 locations from both World Wars commemorated by the Imperial and later Commonwealth War Graves Commission across the United Kingdom. And this sounds astonishing in itself, but something else that I sort of learned at the start of my research was that this means that the United Kingdom has the second highest concentration of burials behind France. And due to the unique unique nature of these sites, they continue to challenge the public's understanding of the work of the CWGC and the cultural memory of the two world wars in Britain. So my thesis focuses on the presence of the first world war graves in England, like I said, through looking at the commitment the commission has caring for casualties. And this sort of started from questions I was getting at talk through work, um, asking why are these casualties here and their stories? And I sort of wanted to turn that question on its head for my thesis um, and ask why are these sites of memory largely unknown to the public by looking at the work of the commission from three different angles. So I'm looking at their bureaucratic role, their outreach and engagement with the public, and then the impact of their work on the British public's attitudes towards commemoration and memorialisation. And this research is designed to present how these graves both conform to and contrasted with the needs of the commission sites abroad, in addition to challenging the commission's founding principles. Um, this thesis is fundamental to furthering our understanding of the culture and memory of the First World War. 
as it provides a springboard to further research as well. And it hopes to highlight the stories of the First World War dead commemorated across England. So from those single graves in small local churchyards to those purpose-built commission cemeteries that we get to see at sites like Brookwood and Cannock Chase. So why are these sites of memory largely unknown to the, the, the great English public? So I think, first of all, it's probably important for me to highlight that they are becoming increasingly aware of this. And I think that lockdown and things like that have been uh, useful in that sense for people to start to get interested in uh, local stories more generally. So people are more likely to know something about local or family stories if they have an interest. Um, But I think that that sheer scale of operation in the United Kingdom is relatively unknown. So the CWGC is, of course, currently doing the Our War Graves Your History project to actively engage people in these sites. But it's important to note the separation among the public who don't have as large an interest in the two world wars um, as well. So I think that there are a few reasons why they aren't um, as well known as sites abroad. And I think it largely comes under that classic lack of knowledge rather than, you know, not an interest. So I know for myself, it wasn't until I started becoming interested in the commission's work in the UK that I did, uh, that I knew that there was a commitment here and that um, I wanted to know why they were here as a result of that. So it was just through having those conversations and being asked why so many times that I wanted to know the answer to that why. And in fact, my research, like I say, largely came about because I was being asked so many questions in networking environments and I was really intrigued to know the answers. And I think as well, when people think of the Great War, they have those key overarching points of things like the battlefields, local war memorials and the cemeteries and memorials abroad. And I think that there is that popular perception that everyone is buried in that former, uh, that foreign field that is forever England because that's almost what we're taught in school. And I think as well, in some ways, it's easier to face that scale of loss by being on the battlefields um, rather than that civilian or local cemetery um, as you can sort of place yourself within that landscape and see the scale of losses through walking amongst those cemeteries and seeing those numbers there. And the sites here are slightly more complicated and in some ways more about that private contemplation among family, which can be difficult to sort of place yourself in if you aren't a a first generation descendant of them. And I don't necessarily think it's a lack of interest. I think it's a case of feeling that you're moving into those private acts of mourning or bereavement by visiting these sites in the UK um, and challenging that notion that until the Second World War, at least, Britain doesn't experience large military losses on the home front that these sites really challenge. So I think, yeah, it's not a lack of interest. I think it's sometimes that lack of knowledge that I'm hoping to um, plug that gap in with my PhD research. Leads me to my subsidiary question. Why does it matter that the public should know about these uh, gra- these grave sites across England? I think it's a case of ensuring that everyone's story is remembered and that people are visited. Um, so a friend of mine, uh, the public historian Olivia Smith, loves this quote about having two deaths. Um, so your physical death and then the last time that your name is said. And I think that this is really important when we're looking at that uh, United Kingdom context as by enable to by enabling to extend people the information needed to visit these graves and see and say the names of local dead and engage in their local history and find out about you know the military hospital that was nearby or the training accident that happened um, is really important to me to help them with in my experience the second that you tell someone oh did you know that there are you know three first world war graves in your local churchyard and cemetery there's a sense of I had no idea I vi- walk past that site every day to get my bread from the bakery um, each morning and then I start getting these connections and conversations as a result of that saying um, I've researched them and I live in his house or I went to the same school as this casualty and it becomes really rewarding for me and for them because I get to see that really personal reaction to someone that they've never met and have no personal connection to in theory and yet they become their boys and their girls and deem it their duty to remember them and I think as well it's such a rich history um, so for those who have visited um, sites across the United Kingdom 
referendum, they will know that the wider UK area has every single example of what you can find CWGT in their work. So the different types of people that are remembered across the armed forces, their types of headstones, um, and sometimes experimental ways to remember the dead. Um, and that's without mentioning sort of family memorialization in the form of private memorials. So for example, um, not too far from me in Nottingham, there are um, not only double and triple headstones, there are also quadruple headstones, which is not something that you would see anywhere else. Um, so it's a really nice example of seeing those unique features, um, as well as the wider commission work. And on the topic of private memorial, there's also something in an aside to my research of families choosing to commemorate their loved ones here, even though they are elsewhere. So they might have the name on the headstone, but actually that casualty is commemorated on the Somme, for example. And it can be really interesting to fall down that sort of area of research, see why they couldn't go and visit, for example, why they chose to put that name on the headstone, even though that casualty isn't there. Um, and in some cases, they might have buried um, items of uh, personal effect of that casualty, which can also be really interesting to look at from that sort of personal versus public acts of bereavement. And these differences can sort of really challenge our understanding when we compare them to the famous sites of the CWGs, places like Tynecott, Yetfow and the Menengate, especially if people are expecting those uh, pristine white Portland headstones that are synonymous with the commissioned work. You know, you'll find granite headstones up Scotland because granite is a lot more hardy um, to those elements, um, for example. And so by looking at the stories at home, we can understand that wider conflict and its impact as well as the public versus private bereavement and how these attitudes interact with each other. And I think as well, it's also really interesting to give us an example of what might have been. So for those who have studied the history of the commission, they will know that it wasn't always everyone wanted their loved ones to be buried abroad or even have the commission headstone that we know today. You're able to see situations of what would have happened if these casualties had been allowed to be repatriated where possible. What would have happened if we'd allowed, you know, private memorials on the in these commission sites? And it reminds ourselves that we have that benefit of hindsight of seeing how these sites end up, but also seeing from their perspective of what they would have wanted for their loved one um, and also see the importance and the beauty of both the commission sites and those sites in the United Kingdom. And I think it's clear that there is that interest among the public um, from conversations that I've had and interest in things like Remembrance Sunday and sort of the information this year in particular about things like the Tomb of the Unknown Warriors unveiling. Um, and so if I'm able to plug the gaps in their knowledge and empower them with the information to start their own research, I'm seeing that as a job well done. So although this is an academic work, I want to ensure that that public history side is really um, factored in as well. Yeah, I mean, as an aside, I, I was I used to live in Earlsfield in in Southwest London, and in one of the graveyards there was there was casualties from the Third Gen London General Hospital. And there was actually a mass grave there, which was really unusual, and there was little plots around, and it it sort of tells the story of that part of London during that time. You know, Third London General Hospital I think was just tents, so it was on Wandsworth Common, which some people may or may not know. It's a very posh area of London now. Not when I was there, unfortunately, but it was. But it tells that story of what what happened in that area, and it's a sort of an amazing part of local history. And I think that sort of really is important to, to build that into into the, the the history of towns and villages. And it's often a missing dimension. And, we, and the question: Why are these gravestones here? And why weren't they repatriated by their family or things like that? So I think it's it's a really really interesting thing. And you know, it brings me down sort of rabbit holes that I'd love to go down later. But anyway, back to the back to the interview. So what is your methodology for approaching the topic? So as it stands, um, I've sort of mentioned I'm looking at this topic from three different areas, but it's widely looking at that cultural and organisational history um, through the formulation of my three chapters, which are the administrative work, their engagement with the public and their impact in the, the sort of topic of the wider memory of the Great War in England. Um, that's how my chapter structure is as it stands, although that was changed about a month ago, so it could change again. Um, so in my administrative chapter, I'm highlighting some of the key challenges that they face as an organisation and how they 
they overcome them. So in particular, things like legal responsibility, uh, work remits and financial constraints, uh, which links to their engagement with the public as the CWGC recently released some e-files, which have really been uh, helpful in my research as it's been able to um, allow me to uncover a range of stories that highlight the public arguably knew more about the commission's work at that time than we give them credit for um, as they are writing to the commission to ask if they can you know clean someone's headstone or indeed place a commission headstone in as the private memorial has um, deteriorated and this includes conversations surrounding things like repatriations the maintenance of graves and sites generally and then also the commission reassuring the public that they take their responsibility to care for the dead in England uh, as seriously as they do elsewhere Um, and I've got some really lovely stories that I loved researching so for example uh, there's a story of an Australian lady who came over to visit her brother's grave and the private memorial that they'd installed was deteriorated I think it was the 1930s and the commission take time to put in this headstone during the months that she's here in the United Kingdom knowing full well that she probably wouldn't be able to revisit her brother's grave and she writes a letter to the High Commissioner of Australia and says um, something like I see this as another act of kindness in my experience of being in England and so having that connection those conversations and being able to do that work that quickly is really interesting Um, and then in the final chapter and the one that I'm currently researching is the impact chapter as I'm hoping to look at how there was both collective and individual memory to be considered in the Great War's aftermath Um, so for example people visiting the Tomb of the Unknown Warrior and the former Western Front or other battlefields attending ceremonies at community built war memorials is really interesting Um, and as an aside I think it's uh, important that we know that the commission is actually responsible for the remains in the Tomb of the Unknown Warrior's grave so it's actually our most one of our most famous casual care for Um, and I'm hoping to see how these gaps between the connections to the commission's work in the United Kingdom and those wider commemorative practices can be seen over time and hopefully addressed for generations to come for example people will know about where their local war memorial is usually but they won't necessarily realize that there might be a casualty in the church next door to that war memorial that they could go and visit as well as part of that remembrance ritual Um, depending on my availability of sources and things like that um, I may choose to localize or turn my research into a more case study based approach which is an option but as it stands I think is how the end thesis will be structured I think focusing on that breadth has been really interesting to myself and I hope that that will be interesting to the people that read my work. And what do you think the challenges are for your research? Um, So I think the first one is that sheer scale of conversation so I can't tell all of the stories of the first world war in my thesis but I'm hoping that it begins that discussion surrounding this topic or joins that early conversations that we're having as opposed to being that single answer to the question. Um, So for example my colleague at the University of Kent Jenny Turner is researching Welsh commemoration in the aftermath of the First World War both in Welsh language and English language um, work and there's some fantastic histories coming out to address this topic. Um, Of course we can't ignore the pandemic and the ongoing situation there considering that for a large portion of my PhD archives have been shut uh, or physical archives you will see a lot of red ink around my work saying check this in the archives when you can or check whether this is true. I've been very lucky that a lot of the archives are digitized but I think there is that limit and you know sometimes you do want to go and visit that physical archive and particularly when I want to look at those local archives um, that could be a bit of a challenge Um, and then finally adapting like everyone else to the online environment in which we share our research and making sure that I can present those findings in a succinct way that enables as many people as possible to utilize me for my research I know that I've sort of alluded to this quite a few times but although this is an academic piece I can see the benefits that it has to the public and I really want to utilize that in my research so that it is accessible and people are able to use it as that springboard for their own research. And my final question is where can when can people learn more and where can people learn more? 
Um, so I'm about 18 months into my PhD at the moment. So just over halfway, which is quite scary. Um, it's flown by very, very quickly. Um, so I'm hoping to be publishing a few more things uh, on online blogs and magazines in the coming months about the research. Um, I am on Twitter um, and my Twitter handle is at Megan E. Kelleher, which uh, I'm sure you might be able to find if you can spell my last name right. Um, and in terms of giving talks and things like that, there are, this is where sort of um, I branch into my two hats of PhD researcher and my job with the commission. So if you're looking at more generalized histories, the commission have just released um, the volunteer speakers program where they can give five general topic about the history of the commission. So it's who we are, the history of the commission, archives, architecture and horticulture, I believe. So it will be both um, staff members like myself and also our wonderful team of volunteer speakers, which we're recruiting for at the moment, um, that can give you these talks both virtually and in person. Um, so if you are looking at those generalized histories, I would highly recommend them. Um, if you are looking for me to talk about my research, you can feel free to send me an email or a DM on Twitter. Um, I am on my university website page as well. So there are quite a few ways for you to find me. Megan, thank you very much for your time. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Buthworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman, and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Buthworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time...